This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Got a love quandary? Head to my website, shallonlester.com, to get connected and also shop my merch and take some fun quizzes. Be sure to rate and review this podcast if you like it and follow me on Instagram at shallonxo and find me on YouTube for four new videos a week. Welcome back, my little shalloners. This week we are talking about bitterness. Bah, bitterness. Bitterness is compost manure-like byproduct of simply being alive, right? I remember when I was younger, like in my late teens, early 20s, I was a very bitter person. It's like I had started to sort of attune my emotional vision to all the injustices in the world. Injustices in my life? Why is her diorama graded higher than mine? Why does that guy like her instead of me? Why didn't I make the dance team? Well, because I can't dance. But also the injustices of like the entire world, right? They're locking people up at Guantanamo Bay and crops are failing and Native Americans have their lands taken away. And I was just this ball of, of anger, kind of. And let me tell you something. That gets worse as you get older because more injustices happen. You become aware of more of them. So we have to have some sort of way to manage our bitterness. So we're going to talk today about two different scenarios. One, a potentially very bitter scenario at work. And the other one is a really upsetting scenario. How to move on after a sexual assault or some other equally nightmarish trauma that, yeah, okay, you're stronger. Didn't kill me. But are you happy? Are you mired in bitterness? How do you let go of that? I'll tell you what I've done to move on from bitterness and free myself of truly those honestly self-imposed shackles of bitterness. We're going we're gonna to have a few real-world executable tips. But before we do, let's get a mind right. Let's get a body right. Let's roll our shoulders back, right? Oh, yeah. Shake it out, baby. Loosen our jaw, and our motto this week, our mantra, is I save myself. It's very important you put that in present tense. Not I will save myself, I can save myself. No, 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 no. It's here now. I currently do save myself. I am my own savior. I am my own white knight. (sighs) So let's take a deep breath in. I save myself. 
one more time. In through the nose. And out through the mouth. And just a reminder, join me on Flays. It's our uncensored ad-free platform. Link's right down here in the description of the podcast. We're talking wieners this week. We're talking uncircumcised wieners, good wieners, bad wieners, small wieners, big wieners. I've also got a whole bunch of blowjob tips on there, handjob tips. It's our sexy little platform where we can talk about things YouTube won't let us. And definitely sign up for YouTube. Click subscribe for four new videos a week. We're going to be breaking down the Kardashians every week, you know, because they're just such a gold mine of emotional lessons. We just broke down the Demi Lovato documentary whole bunch of good stuff coming. And of course, be sure to follow me on Instagram, ChatelineXM. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This question is about work and bitterness. So Charlie uh, said, okay, so there's this girl. She's the boss's daughter and she's already managing projects and telling me what to do. I don't have a problem with much younger folks telling me what to do. I actually often find young people in the office extremely bright. And I'd be happy if they got into a managerial position to guide me. That's super cool. They deserve it. Great. This chick, however, just finished school, no experience whatsoever, only has her last name to back her up and is imposed to manage. So I obviously feel overlooked and not important. I've been super dedicated and been trying to get ahead for years. I'm taking courses, studying, putting the extra hours, often receiving very good comments, keeping everything running. But all of that doesn't seem to matter because uh, she shows up, doesn't have to do anything. She's not even knowledgeable and used to treating others like shit with her entitled attitude. I called her out and she's being polite now, but all that fake polite attitude, she's still really entitled. I raised this concern to HR, which has proven to be absolutely useless. They told me that um, she has earned it, but they also won't tell me how. Oh, that's between her and the boss and this girl, okay? HR told me that because I asked, how do I get ahead? Maybe she followed a path that I'm not following and maybe I'm doing things wrong. Apparently, I'm not doing anything wrong, but, quote, there's no opportunities for me. Maybe because, hello, every good opportunity goes to this boss's daughter. I confronted her and her mother, so now I can't get any career advancement. At this point, even if this boss's daughter does change, it doesn't matter to me. I have too much resentment build up. How do you go about working with people who physically repulse you? I'm to the point that I even find her voice annoying. Oh my God, situations like this just make me insane. They make me insane because you know what we're taught? We're taught that work is a meritocracy. You work hard, you're going to get ahead. That's literally the American dream. You put in the work, you do the right thing. 
the world is going to reward you. Yeah, nice guys finish first, right? No, not always. I mean, overall, yes. But in our individual situations, <laughs> no. The boss's trick-ass daughter finishes first because, yeah, she's got the right name. And the whole company's on her side because, therefore, they have to be on the boss's side. People are actually not very contrary in an organization. They're not. They're not going to turn against their boss. They're not going to stand up for other people. They're going to keep their head down, do what works for them, stay in their lane. And one thing that I have learned the hardest of hard ways is that HR is not on your side. HR is the equivalent of like a traffic cone, right? You see like road work on the freeway. They've opened up a big old pit right there in the right lane. And what do they do? They put up some traffic cones so that if someone drives into it, they're like, hey, we tried, man. We warned you. I don't know, man. They're not going to build a whole wall and make it insulated and padded so that you can bounce against it and everything's fine. No, they're going to do the bare minimum. Why? To avoid a lawsuit. That is why HR exists, to avoid lawsuits. I despise people who work in HR. I mean, I hate them more than any other sector of the population. Forget Democrats versus Republican, gay versus straight. It's people who work in HR versus people who don't work in HR. I have more respect for executioners and like professional agents of torture than I do an HR person because they're so duplicitous. They're so completely full of shit. And their answer to everything is, hmm, how about a form? Would you like to fill out a form? I will never forget when I worked at the New York Daily News, my boss, Orla Healy, I'm putting her whole ass name out there because she can go fuck herself, hated me so much for no real reason. I mean, I was a flibberty gibbet. A bit. I mean, I was still, I was a very good employee, but if you guys have read my book, X's and O's, I wasn't a great journalist. But like I said in the book, the consequence for that should have been, okay, you fire me. Hey, you're not good at this job. We got to let you go. All right. The consequence is not. We're going to keep Shallon on and torture her. Orla, she was the managing editor of the Daily News, in one meeting called me a retard. A retard. I'm not going to censor that out because that's what she called me and she didn't censor herself. I went to HR and I'm like, she said I was a retard. And they're like, "Mm, well, she can basically say whatever she wants. I mean, she's just saying things. And I was like, could she call me the N-word? And they're like, well, (laughs) I mean, you're not black, so. And I said, well, I'm not retarded either. I'm about as retarded as I am black. So why don't we start there? And they just basically shrugged. I had even recorded this meeting on my voice note. It was like, I had proof. And they're just like, I don't, I don't fucking care. So let go of the idea that HR is there to help you. They're not. And this is the theme for this week's podcast. We got to save ourselves. I think it was really interesting in this question when the shalligator was like, I've been doing all of this stuff. I've been taking courses and extra work and blah, 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 and trying to get ahead. And ostensibly, that hasn't really gotten her anywhere. You know, even before this boss's daughter came along, she was just kind of like treading water, doing all these things that no one was really paying attention to. You guys know that when we talk about dating, a lot of times I copy and paste whatever dynamic you're dealing with onto like a different scenario. Cause sometimes that just puts things in perspective and makes it clearer. When we talk about like a fuck boy who's like, well, we're dating, but we're not together. I'm like, you would not accept a boss being like, Hey, I would love for you to come in and work a bunch of shifts this week. Oh, but 
no, you don't actually work here. <laughs> I mean, you're not getting paid. You don't have a desk. But please keep coming in and doing free labor. That'd be great. We could see that as being so ridiculous, right? Well, maybe we need to do this in reverse in this situation. Copy and paste this dynamic and say it was a dating scenario. You're doing everything you can to get this guy to like you. You're showing up for him emotionally, sexually, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, but there's this other girl that I'm that I'm actually dating. Oh no, she's she's dumpy and I don't think she can read and she has just one giant eyebrow instead of two distinct ones. But um yeah, no she's she's earned it. I choose her. Would you keep investing in that guy? Would you keep plugging into that situation? No. Right? No. Say with me, no I wouldn't because <laughs> that's the right answer. So don't do that in work either. We, I don't know if this alligator's an American, but I can speak for myself as an American. Our work ethic, whatever you want to say about Americans and we're lazy and we're rude. All right, we might be rude. We are sure as shit not lazy, okay? We are absolute workhorses. We work literally until we drop dead. We work more than almost any other population on earth. And our work ethic is why we're a superpower, right? And it's why we have a lot of opinions about things. It's like, wow, well, we work all the fucking time. But we are taught that you just don't leave jobs. You just don't. I talk to so many of my friends and so many of you guys who are younger and, you know, maybe new to the workforce where you get into a job and you're like, I hate it. I hate this. I hate the tasks. I hate the boss. There's no advancement, but I can't just quit. It'll look so bad on a resume. I have to stay at least a year. Horseshit. No, you don't. I've hired plenty of people, lots of people. And if they're, if they jump ship out of a job, I ask them like, why did you leave that job? And if they're like, I hated it and I don't want to work someplace I hate. I didn't feel like there was an advancement. You know, if they could give me relevant reasons, I'm like, okay, that's valid. Good for you. Why stay someplace you hate? You're a human being too. You know, if there's a gap in their resume, same thing. It's like, Hey, I lost my job. I couldn't find another. I was a waitress for a year. Hey man, I get that. It's a cold world. So let go of this idea that you just got to gut it out. You got to tough it out. The writing for this Shalligator's job, it's on the wall. And actually, it's probably been on the wall for a while. You're doing all this other stuff outside of what you even have to do to make yourself better and bring more to the table and advance yourself. And it's not working. It's not working. And we, if we stay plugged into situations like this, it just corrodes ourself well, it's not working because I'm not good enough and I'm just, I'm just stupid and I got to try harder. Again, pretend that this is a dating scenario. Would you ever encourage a friend to do that? Well, you just, you just got to compete harder to get him to leave his girlfriend. I mean, what are you doing? You just go and work out eight hours a day, not just two. What are you thinking? Get breast implants. Come on, girl. You would never say that to a friend. You would never say it to yourself. Don't say it about a job. There's a time for sure, to be gritty and tenacious and not let people run you out of an opportunity that you've worked for and you deserve, you give it the old college try. But this isn't a college try. This is a PhD try. From my purview, this alligator has exhausted absolutely every avenue for advancement. She has enriched herself. Okay. She's taken on more work. All right. She's talked to HR. Huh? She's talked to the boss. Ugh. None of it's working. So that is what it is. It's time to pull back and get out. And it's not 
Oh, you're a quitter and you're just cutting and running. Who fucking cares? Who would say that to you? Literally, if that's what you think people are saying, get granular. Like I always say, I go back to this, the car of people who judge, right? If you've watched my videos, you've heard me talk about that. Like in high school, there was literally a carpool of the most popular kids. And my friend was like, that's the car of people who judge. And when I get twitchy about doing something or having a failure or pulling out of something, I'm like, oh my God. They're going to judge me. And I literally think about those specific people like Tara Estes, Jim Denisi, and it's like zero part of those people care about anything I'm doing. But I have to look that in the face to see how silly it is. So if you're like, oh, I can't leave. People think I'm stupid. Who? What people? Who? Not your best friends. They're, they're probably like, girl, you should have left six months ago. They're watching everything you're doing. They're, they know that you're not just a quitter that you're not a whiner, that you have really, really tried and it's just not hitting. So why stay there? Now, look, I have quit jobs before I should have. I've lost jobs. I've gotten downsized, fired. You know, I've been through the whole thing and it's really scary to not have a job. And my grandmother always said this to me. She's like, I'd rather work a week for free at a job I hate than start a new one. Like she, it's, it's really sucky to start a new job, but it's worse to try to look for a job, but it's the hardest to look for a job when you don't have one currently because there's desperation, right? I mean, even let's go back to dating. We all are the best flirts and we're so like charming and breezy when we already have a boyfriend and we're out at the bars with our friends on a girl's night. We're just like, oh, like da, 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 just being real flirty. That's fine. Good for you. It, it, it's good for your, <laughs> for your metabolism. Keep your claws sharp. But it's because, hey, you know what? I got a safety net. No big deal. I don't really need this dude. I'm just having fun. Same with looking for jobs. So this is what you do. You don't walk in there and quit and go out in a blaze of glory. That's fun. I've done that. And it's fun for about nine minutes. The adrenaline lasts. Seriously, by the time you get into the elevator, down to the lobby and into an Uber, you're like, oh, my God, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? How am I going to pay my rent? They're going to badmouth me all over town. I left my favorite stapler up there. There's always something. So you take this time to dial down your productivity. I mean, you crank it all the way down, not to zero, but like 0.5. You do the absolute bare minimum. And you know me. I'm an overachiever and I want you guys to be overachievers too. I'm an acquirer. I'm a conqueror, but I am also extremely judicious about my energy. And when I see the writing on the wall, Hey, I'm funneling energy into something, an investment that is not giving me a return, whether that's a person, a friendship, a job, an endeavor, part of my business octopus, whatever it might be, I pull back. I don't give a shit how it looks to other people. I don't care if people like, you're not the worker I thought you were. Oh, you thought I was just this workhorse with no spine? Good. I'm glad I'm not that person. I'm glad you see that. And then, so you dial it down, right? You do the bare minimum. No more courses. No more talking to HR. Don't even talk to people at the break room. Get in, do your work, get out. And then you use all that energy you're saving to look for other jobs. Okay. And when you go to other jobs, the question you ask is, what's my opportunity for advancement here? What's the timeline? Can you give me specific metrics, sales numbers, projects, new clients that I need to bring in to ascend up that ladder in 12 months, six months, 18 months, whatever it might be. I mean, we go into jobs with this beggar's mentality. 
the way we go into relationships. Oh, just as long as you love me, I don't care. He doesn't want to have kids. That's fine. I don't care. We'll deal with it later. Fuck that shit. No. Are you fucking kidding me? No. I don't go into jobs like that anymore. I mean, true, I don't work for other people anymore. But girl, there's a reason I don't work for other people. When I was at Star, you know, I said at the beginning of this, like jobs are supposed to be a meritocracy. Star was a reverse meritocracy. The less you either wanted to do or were capable of doing, the more that got rewarded. People who were just bad at their job, hey, that's fine. It was always men. It was always white men, right? So everyone else who was capable got more and more and more work heaped on because, hey, they can do it. Shallon can do whatever. Oh, someone can only write five pages in a week. Shallon can write 45. So just give them, give them their pages. Shallon can do it. No big deal. And I was like, I feel like I'm losing my mind. Talk about corrosive. It made me so bitter and so angry. Of course I was angry at them. And of course I was bitter at the system, but I became angry at myself. Because I'm like, what kind of pussy are you, Shallon? You can't keep calling yourself an alpha, a leader, a, a, an exemplar. Look at yourself. You keep pouring energy into this job like some fawning toady. Oh, do you love me now? Will you promote me now? Can I get more power now? Will you let me into this meeting now? No, girl, they won't. The writing was on the wall. And I had read it, but I wasn't doing anything about it, right? Fortunately, I got laid off. I mean, at the time, it didn't feel fortunate. It was so insulting. It was so incredibly insulting because it's like, wow, I knew that you didn't value me. I had no idea you didn't value me this much, that there was this wide of a chasm in terms of a lack of respect, you know? But then I also thought, thank God. Fucking God, you showed me that. Thank God, you know? Now I have no illusions. Now I have to move on. But it was insulting because I was insulted at myself. It's like, you know what, Shallon, on some level you knew this. You knew this was coming. You maybe didn't know when. You didn't know the extremity of it, but you knew it. And I look at this Shalligator situation. I'm like, I could 100% see them firing her. Oh, you know, we actually don't need you. The position's eliminated, whatever. Or just minimizing her role. You know what, you don't need to come to these meetings. It's fine. We can have the boss's daughter. No big deal. And you're just going to get angrier and angrier because on some level, you know, you know what? You've reached your maximum growth here. And it's not fair. No, of course it's not fair. You should be the CEO of that company from everything it sounds like you're doing. You have an amazing attitude even about younger people in the industry. So why stick around with someone, something, an opportunity, a boy, a friend, that isn't appreciating you. Why? Well, Shallon, jobs don't grow on trees. You know what, girl? I get it. This goes back to my advice. You dial down your productivity, you do the bare minimum, and you look around for jobs that will appreciate you. Do it while you still have that paycheck. And you know what? If they fire you, fine. You get unemployment, okay. But do not leave before you have something else. You can't let go of one branch before you get a grip on the next, right? Otherwise, you fall. So let go of the idea that you just got to gut it out and make them see. Go back to the boy dating metaphor. You wouldn't do that with dating. Don't do it with your career. You've worked too hard. You are too valuable to bow in that way. And to stick around and plug into something that isn't appreciating you is the ultimate concession. It is the ultimate beta move. And that's not what we do here.
Dua Lipa. You know, when I play my music to people who I really respect or look up to, then I hear my songs in a different perspective. Cardi B. I know what it feels like when you feel like everybody turn your back and like, don't ever think it's because you did something wrong. Harry Styles. I feel like I'm falling more and more in love with, with making music each time I get to do it. You know these artists for their songs, videos, and epic performances. But they have so many stories beyond their fame. That's what we're here to share with you on the Spout Podcast. We sit down with some of the biggest names in music. And along the way, our guests reveal stories that even their biggest fans may have never heard before. Check out the Spout Podcast to hear famous people spout off about more than what they're famous for. And find out who's spouting off next wherever you get your podcasts. These days, you can't go anywhere on the internet without running into the most horrible takes. You know, your good old-fashioned homophobes or your self-proclaimed alpha males who are writing two-page articles titled How to Score the Perfect Female in 10 Days. If you are just as sick of these outdated takes as we are, you will love our podcast, Outspoken, hosted by me, Sam Collins, and my incredible partner, Shannon. We are an LGBT couple who have seen it all, been called it all, and are ready to take on the never-ending world of outrageous online opinions. Each week, we bring you the most ridiculous videos, hot takes, and hellbent news we come across on the internet. So come laugh with us as we dismantle outdated ideologies and tear apart the most confident idiots on the internet on our podcast, Outspoken. You can follow and listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you are listening right now. This question, it's a heavy one. It really is. So in my last video about Demi Lovato, I talked about my own experience being sexually assaulted in college. And it's, I said, I don't even say the R word. It's just too intense. It's very law and ordery. And it, it makes me feel like a victim. And you know, I don't like feeling that way. So I just kind of avoid that. And I said in the video that like my experience at the time with telling people and and things like that, it was very, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. It wasn't this wave of justice, we're gonna get him, let's go to the police, ba ba ba. It was like, oh, bummer. And it was as bad as the assault itself to realize that, you know what? <laughs> I'm kinda on my own here. Like people, were sad for me, but there was not really a sense of action behind that sadness. And I don't just mean like, I wasn't telling acquaintances. I was telling the absolute closest people in my life and my family. And it was like, hmm, huh. Even my therapist was like, gosh, wow, nothing really. And so I came to a very stark realization that, you know what? I'm on my own, man. I'm on my own in this life. Yeah, people love me and I mean, they have my back, I guess, but it doesn't really feel like that. And I was very, very bitter about that. It was, it just compounded something that was already awful into something that now felt unbearable. But that was my sort of dark night of the soul. That was my really low point. And again, it it was so much less the, the trauma, the physical trauma, and it was more the just the what I felt as abandonment by the people who I thought were going to pull up for me in a major way and they might have thought that they did you know they were probably like hey I was there for you and I talked you through it like no you I'm sorry no you fucking didn't I okay 
You can think that if you want. I don't believe that that's true. And that is, I certainly would have remembered that anyway. But as I hit that rock bottom, I started to bounce upward and I bounced into this level of, okay, I belong to me now. No one is going to come and rescue me. No one's going to save me. And therefore, I don't owe anyone shit. I don't owe anyone a goddamn thing for the rest of my life. Oh, you want me to go to law school? Go fuck yourself. When are you getting married? Shut the fuck up, grandma. No, I didn't say that. I love her. But you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Did you ever read the parable (laughs) of the little red hen? This, like, I have referenced the little red hen throughout my life a million times. I'm sure you know it. It's like, the little red hen is about to, she wants to bake bread on her little farm. She's like, who will help me reap the crops? Not I, said the cow. Who will help me grind the wheat into flour? Not I, said the piglet. But then when she's baked this bread, everybody wants a piece, right? Even though she's done everything herself. And that, I go back to that. It's like, none of you people were there for me when I needed you. As I defined it, as I defined my crisis, and maybe my expectations are too high, okay. But look, I've forgiven you for your limitations. I've forgiven you for that. But I am now moving through my life pleasing one person, myself, myself, my dreams, my goals, my path. Sorry, it doesn't look the way you want it to. Sorry, it's not what you you had in mind for me. Tough shit. What I had in mind for you was pulling up for me when I needed it. So welcome to life. It's a cold world. We can't always get what we want. And the reason I was able to let go of that experience and the reason I don't really talk about, I don't even really talk about it in therapy. It's like, I feel like I processed it because I got something positive out of it, which is total emotional autonomy in regards to my dreams. I don't need anyone's permission for the way I live my life. And I really think I walk it like I talk it. I do things that are controversial. I live my life in a way that's contrary to what people would expect from me. But I am happy. I am constantly checking in with, oh gosh, am I approved by, not my mom, not my friends, not even the internet, myself. Am I authentic? Am I aligned? So that is how I beat out that bitterness. But I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm giving the answer to this question before the question. So let's read this. But I wanted to give you some background. So Double Imagination wrote, she titled this post, The R Word and Not Being Bitter Forever. She said, I'm watching Shallon's video about the Demi documentary and I'm honestly shocked. When she spoke about being raped, my jaw dropped. I remember when I was a few years back and I got the same response from the very few people that I told. I got questions like, well, did you try to fight him? And internally, I was just like, yeah, it would have been a great idea to fight a dude three times my size. No, I actually didn't want to die. I think a lot of us have experienced that. Well, did you scream? Did you fight? Who am I? Fucking Bruce Willis? No, dude, it's not that simple. My mom, however, drove to my home the night after when I told her and made sure I was safe. She didn't ask questions that put the blame on me. She was just there. I thought about what Shallon said, and all I can think is I've never heard it explained better. (laughs) Thank you. When something so life-shattering happens, you figure out who really is on your team, and that's you. And for me, it's my mama. So I will say I've definitely come to that same conclusion that, hey, it's just me out there. I'm the one who has to watch my own back because at the end of the day, I'm the only one I can trust. But it makes me bitter. I love people and I'm the kind of person who would destroy someone that came against someone I love. But when it comes to opening up to people, you know, I find it pointless. Do I feel stronger from the experiences that broke me? Absolutely. 
Do I feel like my life is stronger after I've had to rebuild it from shambles? Definitely. But am I happier? No. I feel empty. How do you feel truly happy knowing you're the only one who truly does have your back? Oh, I mean, yeah. Fuck, man, I get it. I feel like so many of us are in this position, whether we've experienced this kind of trauma or whether we just look at our family and we're like, you know what? You have an emotional limitation. Mom's a narcissist. Dad's an alcoholic. My sister's a bitch. Like, where you're like, hey, there might be, I'm not alone, but I'm lonely. Being lonely has nothing to do with the population surrounding you. Maybe your friends are fakes. Maybe your boss is actually against you. And you're like, dude, I feel like a fucking island. This is hard for us because what do we always say? Our number one need as a human is social interaction. We need to feel part of a tribe, especially in times of grief and pain and trauma. Where's my tribe? Who's pulling up for me? Where are my warriors? The boy I ended up dating um, in college, like my first love, we met in ROTC. And that was not an accident that I was gravitating towards soldiers. This was post-trauma. And I wanted someone who could... And I wasn't even in touch with this, like in a conscious sense. I wanted someone who could defend me and protect me. And I don't mean like on Facebook. I mean someone who could break someone's neck if they needed to. And I had told him about what happened. And he's like, don't ever tell me his name because I'll kill him. And he meant it. And I was like, I'm in love with you, (laughs) you know? And now, you know, I got canceled last year, that fuck shit. And people put my address on the internet and like whatever it is people think about me, that was so beyond inappropriate and so disgusting. And like it, it had a, I've also had someone stalking me. Like there's been a lot of actual, very real security threats against me in my life. And nothing has made me more insane again than the reaction from the people in my life. Well, you're being crazy. No, you really think someone's going to come to your house? Fuck you. Honestly, fuck you. It's like when people tell us that not only is our pain not valid, you know, we're stupid for being in pain. Wow, thank you. What a helpful thing to say. Oh my God, that's amazing. Now I feel great. And so after that experience, I gravitate towards very menacing men, like alpha men, ex-military, ex-Blackwater, a dude I dated when I first moved to Montana. He was Blackwater. He was an ex-force recon Marine. And he would, he had tortured people in, I don't know, wherever Blackwater, someplace in the Middle East. And I was like, how do you get someone to talk? And he's like, you drill a hole through their hand. Everyone talks when you drill a hole through their hand. And I was like, holy shit. Like that was horrifying, but also like, you know what? I want this dude on my team. If he's going to be on anyone's team, I want it to be on mine. I don't want to be on the opposite team. But that, those experiences informed who I would choose, right? I feel like I've gotten off topic. I'm sorry. My point is, I get this. You just feel by yourself. But look, here's the upside. When you know you're the only one who, when push comes to shove, has your own back, then the people in your life are there because you want them to be. Not because I need you. You can't, if things go bad, you can't ever leave me. You have to give up your entire life, your entire day to come and save me. I mean, we want a friend who is like, oh, Shallon's in pain. The world stops. I am listening. I'm coming right over. I'll bring lasagna. We're going to drinks. All the girls are coming. We want that. We need that. And that should be an absolute non-negotiable trait in the people in our lives. For sure. 
But also, that can walk hand in hand with our own emotional autonomy. I want my friends to come over, but you know what? Okay, this guy dumped me, my date stood me up. I know I'm going to survive. How do I know that? How do I know that? Because I've survived worse. Every time something bad comes against me, I'm like, you know what? Fuck, man, I've been through this shit. I've been through a lot. I don't feel like a victim. I feel like a warrior. You talk to someone who's an actual warrior, a force recon marine, an ex-army sniper. They don't have a victim narrative. They have a champion's narrative. Like, yeah, oh, I've seen some shit. Yeah, I've gotten shot. I've gotten tortured. I've gotten kidnapped. Mm -hmm. But hey, I've survived it. So no, I'm not scared to call a girl on the phone. (laughs) I'm not scared should this relationship go south. I'm all in. They have a completely different spin on this. They don't see those experiences as eroding them. They see them as strengthening them. Scar tissue is stronger than normal tissue. Did you know that? It's harder, it's denser, it's tougher to get through. There's a reason. They want as much scar tissue as they possibly can have. That's armor for them, emotional or otherwise, because they have put a spin on it. It's not corrosive, it's resilience. They're building their shell. But... They're trying to stay as flexible as possible to allow in new experiences. And this is where, this is where the difficulty comes in, right? Because like you said, how do I open up to people? What's the point? I honestly think it's easier to open up to people when you don't need, 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 need them. Like we said in the previous question, copy and paste this into a relationship situation. We talk all the time about how dating isn't 50-50, it's 100-100. You can't know what half of a whole you are. I'm sorry. (laughs) You can't be half of a whole if you don't know what half you are. We have to be our own warm-blooded animal where, yeah, we want a man, but we don't need a man. I don't need an emotional getaway car from my life. I'm happy here. I'm happy exactly where I am. I enjoy you. You're enriching my life, but you're not completing it. So therefore, hey, I'm, I'm opening up to you as I see fit. I'm not afraid to share stories from my past because, hey, if you don't like it, Well, go fuck yourself. I, oh, you don't like how many people I've slept with. Who the fuck asked you, right? That's my attitude. You don't like it, you can leave. I don't need you to approve of my life. Oh, please love me. Oh my God. Oh, I hope you find this okay. I hope, I hope I'm okay. I need you. No. And we can acknowledge that going into dating with that attitude crafts wildly better relationships. That's the Rihanna vibe. I like you, I don't need you, right? Then you can be so much more aware of the kind of people you let in your life. You're not afraid to look at red flags because you're not afraid to get rid of someone because you don't need them. Same goes for friends. I'm very open. I mean, obviously, but I'm very open in meeting new people because it's almost like nothing can hurt me anymore. And I don't mean that in this, nothing can hurt me. There's no heart to break. It's, hey, nothing can hurt me because I am my own self-contained unit. Things can rattle me. I don't like being betrayed. I don't like opening up to someone and being like, oh, wow, I called you and I'm hysterical because I hit a deer with my truck. And you're just like, oh, that sucks. Click. First of all, that didn't happen. My friends were amazing about it. They offered to come get it and cook it for me. Montana, Montana life. It's so bizarre. (laughs) But if that does happen, you know, of course I've been betrayed by people and let down, but it allows me to be like, you know what? That's a them problem. That's a them problem. That's not a me problem. Their behavior isn't a reflection of me. I'm not good enough. Oh my God, they can't leave me. What can I do to make them stay? I'm so sorry. No, it's like, oh gosh, their limitations are pretty limited. Mine aren't. 
Next. So it's about reframing it because there are going to be things that happen in this world that are, I mean, that are worse. They're worse than the things we've endured. Hopefully they won't happen to us. But I was actually reading this article on Psychology Today about overcoming bitterness and the, the things they listed of like, you know, things that would make you bitter are just like, holy shit. I mean, they're bad, real bad. Like you spend your whole life being healthy and then you get breast cancer. Someone hits your kid and they're a drunk driver, right? Like bad things. And I'm like, okay, okay. So maybe getting ghosted by the fuck boy isn't that bad. But that's a tip for overcoming bitterness. Get some perspective. We talked in other podcasts and videos and we talk about a lot, victim narratives, victim narratives, and how we can deal with people who are victims in our life. And one thing I always say, give them a little shame. Trot them down to a homeless shelter. Have them watch a documentary on Sudanese refugees. Have them read literally anything about Native Americans, right? And then ask them, so tell me again about that fuck boy and see if they can say it without any hint of shame, right? Well, honey, let's do that to ourselves. One thing that pulled me out of my bitterness was ROTC, it was the army. It gave me a sense of accountability. It got me just out of my head. I didn't have time to sit and spiral and stew when I was running until I threw up, when I was assembling and disassembling an M16 blindfolded, when I was fetching bricks from the bottom of a 25 foot pool, right? I was too busy being useful to like solipsize into my own neuroses. So get a little perspective. You know, this is, this is really, really helpful. Another thing, find religion. I have gone back and forth. I'll do a Flays video about my feelings on religion because I feel like they're a little unusual. <laughs> what am I not? Bizarre. But I also feel like they're not unusual. I feel like it's, well, I'll just give you the too long didn't read. I take sort of a buffet approach to religion. Like, hey, some days I pray to Buddha. Sometimes it's Jesus. Sometimes it's Hera and Zeus. Like, whatever works for you. But when that trauma happened to me in college, you know, some people I would tell, they're like, God only knows why things happen. And, you know, a lot of people at my school are very religious. And so some people I was talking to, they, they defaulted to religious rhetoric, like God's plan and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And you know what I kept going back to? So this guy had cancer when he was a kid and he almost died. He was like 11 when he almost died. And he was like on his deathbed, like last rites. And he made what the doctors called a miraculous hand of God recovery. And all I kept thinking was, you let this person live to become a monster? That's the God I'm supposed to worship? Really? Huh. That was really hard for me to get my head around. I can't ask that same God for help when they sent this chimera of a person into our lives. It just seemed so ridiculous. That veered me much more strongly towards the pagan religions because that is the kind of shit that they do. They're mischievous and they're spiteful, right? So I'm like, okay, well, if I look at it from the pagan point of view, it makes more sense. But then in this last year, you know, the cancel thing, the doxing, all of that, I got much, much more religious in a Christian sense. Because I'm like, you know what? The things that I do to help mankind, 
Mankind doesn't give a shit. I'm racist, even though I just raised $20,000 to get a homeless black mom off the streets. Okay, that's fine. I hate Asians, even though three of my best friends are Asians and I would, they're, my best friend is Asian. She's literally my beneficiary in my will. All my property goes to her. But yeah, no, I just, there's some weird secret hate there. So I'm like, okay, if these things I do to help other people, if mankind doesn't care, then all glory goes to God. I do it for God because God is watching. And we are very tempted. I mean, not tempted. We have to find meaning in our traumas and our bitterness. And religion can help with that. But it can also fall very flat in the face of pain. Well, I don't know. It's God's plan. It's God's will. Shut the fuck up. Like, that's not what you want to hear when your little sister's diagnosed with cancer. Because it just seems very like live, laugh, love. Like, gee, I don't know. And of course people don't know. Of course they don't know. None of us know. This is where the bitterness comes in. Why? Why is this happening? It is our job to find the why. The why is not going to be served to us on a silver platter. It just isn't. And is that fair? No. But fair is a four-letter word. Fair doesn't really exist. A county fair exists. Fairness. Tell me one category in life, just one, that is truly based on fairness. Nothing. From beauty, hideously awful people can be extremely beautiful. To dating, why would he like her over me? Certainly to work, shitty people get promoted, reverse meritocracies. To the big things, health, life, death, wealth. None of it is fair. None of it is fair. And yet we're taught that word for some reason. We should That should not even be a word in our vocabulary. We should have no word for it. The way <laughs> the Germans hate cilantro so much, they won't even give it a word. If you have a cilantro gene like I do, where it tastes like soap, it's because you have Germanic heritage. That's your fun fact of the day. So this is the next tip. Let go that life is supposed to be fair. Let go of the concept that you are going to get an explanation. You're not. And I know, I know. It's crazy making. It's fucking crazy making. But it's more crazy making and more seething and toxic to keep waiting for that, to keep waiting for the scales of justice. Now look, you can get justice all on your own. Someone wronged you, go break their jaw, man. I don't know, whatever's gonna make you feel better. But a lot of times, we, there, isn't, there isn't a villain. There isn't a one particular person to go after. And even if there is, what does that honestly get you? And you know I love revenge. I mean, you know I do. But I do say that nine times out of 10, moving on and living well is the best revenge. People who want your attention so bad, a fuck boy, a hater on the internet, to deprive them of that is the cruelest thing you can possibly do. So incredibly cruel. What is crueler than depriving a desperate person of the one thing they want? I can't think of anything. And for these people, it's your attention. It's your engagement. And no, karma might not come for them. They might, maybe not in this life, maybe not in the next. We don't even know if that's a thing. I get it. I get it. Ugh. I mean, that shit keeps me up at night, you know? And I know it does for you guys too. But we have to ask ourselves one question. When we are in the dark night of our soul, seething with bitterness, that our blood feels like it's made of pure venom coursing through our veins, the one question we ask, do I want to be a victim? Now, if you're a shalligator, you know the answer to that. No, no, I don't. There's a lot of people that do. There are. We encounter them. We talk about them. We see them. 
We are not them though. We are not victims. And people like the dudes I've dated, the Marines and the snipers, they've asked themselves that question. Am I a victim or am I a victor? Am I a champion or am I a turtle without a shell, a kite in a windy sky, battered around with no personal power, no agency, nothing? No, they're not. They've answered that question and they probably asked themselves that question again and again whenever necessary. And that's what we have to do also. So when I go back to these bitterness feelings, I literally stop myself. Am I a victim? Do I want to be a victim? Is that how I see myself? And when I say that word, just victim, I feel like my skin crawls. I hate it. I hate to be pitied. I would always, always rather someone be like, she is a braggy douche than, oh, poor pitiful Shallon. I fucking hate it. Again, there's a lot of people who don't. Fine, let them. But when we can confront that and when we would actually have to answer the question, yes, I want to be a victim. Okay, girl, then keep wallowing, keep being bitter. But if we say, no, I don't, we take a deep breath and we switch the channel. Sometimes moving on from bitterness is like I experienced with ROTC, as simple as staying busy. When do you get into those bitterness spirals? When do you start to stew? Is it late at night? Take some melatonin gummies. Don't stay up all night thinking about shit. Is it when you're brushing your teeth? Turn on a podcast. Is it when you're driving? When you see someone? Unfollow them. Take whatever steps you can, both mental and existential, but also like logistical, to remove triggers of bitterness. And it's tough. I mean, it's tough. It's really, really tough. Tell people in your life, hey, you know what? I don't want to talk about this person. I want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about that. I'm trying to move on and not be bitter. Tell them why. And they're going to be like, great. I would... They don't want you to be bitter. They love you. So again, it goes back to how do we open up? How do we be happy? Happiness is directly correlated to feelings of power and control, right? Not control over, not like mass power, Elon Musk power, power over our own life, agency, personal power. I am the driver in my life. I am not the passenger. So we have to just decide I'm going to open up to this person. I'm going to tell them a story that, oh, it's risky. Maybe they're not going to like it. Well, fuck them if they don't like it. Fuck them. Who cares? I've confronted all those things. My ex-boyfriend is like, I don't like how many people you've slept with. I was like, actually, you know, if before I had met you, I'd been like, oh man, a guy's going to be like, oh, I don't like your history. Oh, that's so scary. I don't want to go through that. But then when it happened, I was like, who the fuck are you? Right? I was actually, it was not the reaction I thought I would have. I didn't collapse. Oh my God, you're right. I was like angry and annoyed and I pushed back. I stood up for myself. I exhibited personal power. That's how we dig ourselves out from bitterness. That's how we dig ourselves out from the past. We put one foot in front of the other. Maybe that's literal, going for a walk around the block. We emotionally put one foot in front of the other. I might never get a reason why. I might never get what I would deem as fair justice. I have to make my own happiness in this world. I have to move forward. It's not a perfect answer. It's not a perfect world. It's small steps that add up to large steps and every step in the right direction is a step away from our trauma. Well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Shalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage.